today on Ag News Daily. It's worth planting because if we come into Christmas and Nov 22 is around $5.75, $6, now th- those numbers will work again. Then if something changes in the world and fertilizer uh, loosens up and we can get some, then those numbers will really work. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Karna. Ashton, I've got a fun piece of news to kick the podcast off with today. Okay, I'm ready for it. Okay, so I was driving to the gym this morning and heard this funky piece of news and thought, I just have to share this with our listeners. So Ashton, are you a fan of brats? Like bratwursts? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, me too. And obviously, that's a big, you know, tailgate food. That's a big food to eat during Oktoberfest. Well, I didn't catch the company that made this new type of brat, but it's called the Spooktoberfest brat. Ashton, do you want to take a guess at what this brat is filled with? Pumpkin. (laughs) No, but you are very close. It is filled with candy corn. Oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I'm not sure the company that made this. I kind of want to try them, try to find them just because they sound so random and kind of gross. Like I like candy corn by themselves. I'm not sure how I feel about it being in a brat unless here's my hypothesis is that maybe because it's, you know, like that, uh, whatever ingredient, candy, corn syrupy ingredient, maybe when you're cooking the brat, it just melts. And then it's kind of like a sweet brat. Delaney, I don't know if you've seen this since you're a fan of candy corn, but the Brock's candy company made like a Thanksgiving themed candy corn. And it has, Stuffing, flavored candy corn, I think cranberry sauce, turkey, coffee. I think that might be it, but they compiled all these things and mixed it in a bag together of candy corn. It looks like candy corn, different colors than the traditional candy corn, but it tastes like all these Thanksgiving foods. Uh, I think I'd try it. I'd try it. I think that I probably would too. Another podcast that I listened to tried it on air because both of the hosts candy corn. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to do something fun like that. That sounds good. Let's plan that, Ashton. Maybe for let's see, what day is is uh, Halloween on this year? I'm looking at the calendar. Oh, Halloween is on a Sunday, so we couldn't do it on Halloween Day. But maybe for that Friday before, we can taste or find something fun to try or share with our podcast listeners. I'm excited for this. Let's let's plan and plot. Okay, absolutely. You know, I don't like being an idea stealer, but I am excited to try this candy. <laughs> Me too. Let's order some. We'll we'll try it. Then we can share with our listeners if it's good or gross. Maybe we can have a couple of things we can rate them. Like, I don't know if you follow Barstool Sports, but they do like the pizza ratings. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I love watching those. Me too. Me too. But That was my fun piece of news for today. We better get to some more serious news since that's why the people are here to listen to us today. Ashton, what do you have on the docket? Well, today I've been kind of watching some news concerning John Deere. Negotiations have continued today after its union workers rejected a labor agreement yesterday. So a potential strike is looming this week. The International Union, United Automobile, Aerospace, and Agricultural Implement Workers of America says that the bargaining committee is headed to John Deere's headquarters today in an attempt to reach an agreement. 
Deere's VP of Labor Relations, Brad Morris, says that the company is fully committed to continued negotiations and says that operations continue as normal with workers reporting to work today. This agreement would have covered more than 10,000 production workers at the Waterloo locations and sites in Illinois, Iowa, and Kansas. If an agreement can't be made between Deere and its workers by midnight on Wednesday, UAW 838 says that picketing begins Thursday morning. So going to definitely keep my eyes out on this because I'm really hoping that a strike does not come because, I mean, we've been following the kind of bottlenecks and production issues when it comes to equipment and manufacturing. So I think this would just be kind of another bump in the road here. So definitely don't want to see this occurring. No, and this has been an ongoing story. I'm glad you brought it up because I've been watching this over the last mm, two weeks, roughly. And they'd gotten to a point, at least I thought, where strikes weren't going to continue. It sounds like that is not the case now. So certainly something to keep an eye on. The Waterloo facility is a big one, too, as far as producing equipment, Ashton. So worker safety, I think, is always a concern for them. COVID, you know, just the workforce in general hasn't seemed to be apt to want to get back out there and work for whatever reason. So interesting dynamics going on right now, that's for sure. But uh, segueing off of that here nicely, you know, another big story we've been continuing to watch is not only the labor force, but also shipping containers. So far, we've seen as backlogs at U.S. ports and climbing shipping rates are continuing to plague the supply chain. New data this month shows shipping rates between the United States and China have dropped more than 50% in just a month, which is certainly good news to get our products out to other shores. But data provided by digital freight forwarding company Schiffel shows that the China-U.S. spot freight rates For shipping a 40-foot container from China to Los Angeles has dropped by $9,000, a 51% drop between September and October. And they're saying that the reason for this is slowing production due to a power crisis and the off-season coming into view. But we're still seeing a lot of issues with a backlog of unfulfilled orders. However, overall, it does seem, whether this is good or not, shipping rates are coming down month to month. Well, Delaney, I have a bit of an update coming from China as well. Of course, last week we talked about really the first conversations that U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai and China's vice premier that happened last Monday, I believe. And there has been a second conversation, and I don't have a whole lot of information Um about it right now, but China did say on Saturday that it pressed the United States to eliminate tariffs in their talks that Washington saw as a, quote, test of bilateral engagement between the two countries. Tai intended to use the call to test whether bilateral engagement can address U.S. complaints about Beijing's trade and subsidy practices. And I, like I said, don't have a whole lot of information, but I was interested on maybe some thoughts that you had about eliminating tariffs. We've had this discussion on the podcast before, and unfortunately, tariffs can be a difficult game to play, Ashton, because when 
legislators put tariffs in place, you know, oftentimes you think that the other country is the one suffering from these tariffs. But in fact, usually the cost of those tariffs gets passed on to consumers. So in all reality, they're not ideal for us as consumers to have put in place. Well, There wasn't a solid agreement that came from this, although both sides did agree to continue communicating with an equal approach and mutual respect. So I don't think it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight or anything like that, because it sounds like we are approaching this in a positive manner. But that's just all I have on this second call. So of course, we're going to continue to talk about the phase one trade negotiations. And we're going to, of course, look at phase two, if that is something that's going to happen. A lot of kind of question marks in the air right now, but that's just a a quick little update. Okay. Fantastic, Ashton. I appreciate you having that update, but got a little bit of a news here for the beef industry. For the first time in decades, a case of bovine tuberculosis has been reported within a Montana beef herd, which is one of the deadliest cattle diseases in the United States and had been largely eradicated until a routine inspection at a packing plant just recently uncovered this positive case. It was just one cow that had been confirmed to be infected. The rest of the herd was placed under quarantine until officials are going to be able to test the rest for disease. But uh, little's known right now as far as this infection goes. It's capable of passing between cows and other species, including humans. So it is a very serious threat to our food chain. However, I think until we get that information back from the other quarantined herd, it's probably more than likely an, a one-off case, but definitely something to keep an eye on here, Ashton. Well, Delaney, another thing that we are following along with is the slash of methane emissions and talking about global warming and, and those kinds of things. And we have now seen two dozen countries join a U.S. and European Union-led effort to cut down methane emissions by 30% by 2030 from 2020 levels. Nigeria, Japan, and Pakistan are notably among the 24 new signatures to the Global Methane Pledge, which was first announced by the U.S. and EU back in September with the aim of rapid climate action before the start of the Scotland Summit on October 31st. This pledge will now cover 60% of global GDP and 30% of global methane emissions. If fulfilled, it would have a significant impact on the energy, agriculture, and waste sectors responsible for the bulk of methane emissions. I I know that they say agriculture is one of the big sectors here, but if you recall, Delaney, I released some numbers or talked about some numbers. I shouldn't say released. I, I talked about some numbers that were released earlier this month talking about how agriculture really isn't that big of a player when it comes to methane gases or greenhouse gases. So mm-hmm. I am glad that we are starting to see more countries come to the table when we're talking about reducing gas emissions and those kinds of things. But yet again, just another finger that pointed to the ag sector. Yeah. And that comes as no surprise. It's 
quick to blame. It's easy to blame us, quick to blame us, whatever. But we also do a lot as far as uh, making improvements in that sector as well. But Ashton, speaking of a lot of numbers, I don't think I mentioned these on the podcast last week. So I wanted to just make sure that I mentioned them today because of course we have tomorrow's WASD Crop Progress Report released at 11 a.m. Central Time. Look for us on social media. We'll share a quick update of that before we dive it into a deep dive of it tomorrow. But ahead of that time, I wanted to just chat through here really quickly what analysts are expecting as far as tomorrow's report goes. Analysts expect the 21-22 ending stocks for corn in the U.S. to rise and for corn side of things and for soybeans also expecting ending stocks to rise. Overall, it's expected to be a pretty bearish report. And as I'm saying these numbers, I now remember I talked through a little bit of it, but the trade is also more importantly looking for the USDA to lower corn yields to a 176 and increase soybean yields to a 51.1 which is how they're getting increased ending stocks projections here for about 300 million bushels higher for soybeans. And I think this comes as no surprise because as we continue to have discussions with market analysts, as we continue to have discussions with farmers, really that's been the overall summary that I've heard from a lot of farmers, Ashton, is that corn is coming in slightly below, if not right at expectations. Soybean yields, however, are coming in much higher than originally expected. So probably not going to be bullish tomorrow for corn and soybeans, but we should see a pretty bullish bullish report tomorrow according to what analysts are expecting. So we'll make sure and watch that report as it trickles in tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time, but certainly be prepared for a little market sensitivity tomorrow. That's for sure, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I am interested to see how markets ended for today. I am out of news, so I'm ready to hear those numbers if you are. I certainly am, Ashton. And we saw today a little bit of a sell-off in the soybean markets, not quite to the point where maybe folks are bearish the soybean market yet, but definitely we're seeing some shifting patterns here in the markets if we don't see a couple fundamental factors pull through. Corn, however, is still sitting pretty favorable right now as the December corn contract closed up two and a half cents to end at 533. The March up two and three quarters to close at 542 and a quarter. In the soybean pits today, as I mentioned, major sell-off today with the November contract shedding 14 and three-quarters cents to close at 12, 28 and a quarter, breaking through that key resistance area that Angie Setzer mentioned last week on the podcast. It's going to be interesting to see how we trade here moving forward if we set a new level of support or if, in fact, that was a trigger telling us, hey, soybeans are not happy. They're going to continue to move to the downside. January today lost 14 and a half cents to close at 12.39 and three quarters. In the wheat pits today, the Chicago contract down two and a quarter cent in the December month to close at 7.31 and three quarters. The March down a penny and three quarters to close at 7.45 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw some mixed trade in the live cattle complex as the December contract shed seven and a half cents to close at one thirty seventeen and a half of February, down seven and a half, excuse me, up seven and a half cents to close at one thirty four eighty seven and a half. And in feeder cattle today, the November contract up fifty seven and a half cents to close at one sixty one seventy two and a half. The January putting on ninety seven and a half cents today to end the day out at one sixty two ten. 
And in lean hogs today, we saw again some continued sell off, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit with Tommy as the December contract shed $1.32 and a half to close at 80.17 and a half. The February cutting 80 cents to close at 83.07 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. November today up seven cents to end at 18.84. The Dees up two cents to close at 18.33. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Tommy Grizoffi. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Market Monday, we are talking to Uber driver, commodity broker, and analyst Tommy Grizoffi of Advanced Trading Inc. Tommy, did you like that introduction? Uh, I did. Uh, I noticed a, a little Uber Subaru picked you up in North Dakota the other day. So uh, that was nice. You weren't a very good tipper and I gave you a little. Oh, so dang it. You're I, right. I, you know I was it. You rate the driver and the driver rates yeah. you. I gave you. I didn't even give you any stars. So I'm like, heck oh. with it. Nope. Zero. <laughs> I think I'd like to think I was a pretty good writer. I didn't say anything on your driving, didn't comment on your vehicle, but I did appreciate you coming to pick me up from the airport uh, Friday, Thursday, whatever day that was last week at the North Dakota Bankers Association event. And Tommy, we got to chat markets a little bit last week over a couple cocktails, but I want to have that same or similar discussion today. And I want to kick things off here because I asked you this question and you gave me a short form answer, but I want to elaborate on that. Are you still bullish the corn and soybean markets, Tommy? The the corn market has some dynamics like I've I've never seen, and so I would say yes, I'm very very friendly corn. Uh, not because Iowa didn't have a good crop. I spent three days last week in Iowa visiting with bankers and farmers, and we had a couple uh, improv meetings with a couple bankers. And the bushels are there in, in your great state, but in other states they're not, and the pipeline was empty. So the the thing that gets me excited, well. A lot of things get me excited, but two things that are really incredible that I've never seen is uh, 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 the fertilizer market. Mm-hmm. It's not just the price of the fertilizer, but can we even get fertilizer? And the other thing is what happened in crude oil and energies across the world. So I guess another third thing to be excited or just just observe is this supply chain issue as uh, the whole this experiment we had of shutting down the world and then trying to restart it and then trying to restart it with a mask on, it's kind of backfiring in the sense that when you have a four or $500,000 machine out in the field and it's broke and you can't get a part for it, that's, that's not good. That doesn't seem very much like America. So the, the corn bullish and the overall grain bullishness is on this stocking up. Uh, people, everyone became a just-in-time buyer of things. And so there's one thing you don't want to run out of in the world. And if you if you do break apart for a tractor or a combine, well, it can just sit there. But you can't have hungry people in the world. And so as countries like China and other aggressive communist countries are trying to take over the world, they got to keep their people fed. So it's 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 really weird because we don't believe in their philosophy, but we love when they buy our, our grain. So when you look at something like oats today, oats hit 674. So how can you be a big corn bear when oats are 674? Just, just maybe it's just old board of trade, bad habits. I, I stood in the oat pit a little bit. I stood in the corn pit. All the years I stood in the corn pit, the oats were 15 feet behind me. There was a legendary broker named Jay Homan. And so oats don't trade a lot. They have 5,000 contracts, open interest. They traded about 900 contracts today. But nonetheless, 674 oats. 
think that's a new record high. I'll have to do a little checking. Well, there's certainly a lot of factors that you mentioned there. I want to unpack a little bit more before we move on here. The fertilizer story, because we chatted with uh, Josh Linville of Stonex last week. He had a lot to share on the topic. But from a market stance, Tommy, do you see this being a big driver of an acreage shift in 2022? I, I do. And it it may not happen, but the market has to prepare for it to happen. So let me give you an example. Today, I was trading aggressively on the close from my own account. And corn's closing on the dead high almost, and beans are on the dead low. And they were on the dead low because I was long them and wrong. So you'd asked earlier what I thought about beans. We have an incredible bean oil story, canola story. And I think the markets need to adjust for this. So you and I had spoken and talked about it on the shows last week, but you got to watch Nov 22, Dees 22. And again, that spread widened out. So Nov 22 was down 10 cents and Dees 22 was up two cents. And usually uh, that ratio usually is about two and a half to one when you take the price of a bean and divide corn into it. But boy, there have been a few times in history where it's went under two and it looks like these might be, uh, this might be one of those times. So we'll keep an eye on that. The markets might have to get to a price to say, uh, even though fertilizer's high, it's worth planting because if we come into Christmas and Nov 22 is around five seventy five six dollars now th- those numbers will work again. And then if something changes in the world and fertilizer uh, loosens up and we can get some, then those numbers will really work. And so that spread's probably going to flip flop a few more times before the March thirtieth crop report of next year. So um, there was a time a few weeks ago I was selling December twenty two corn. I'm like, this thing, it's harvest, it's multiple years of good prices. Then the fertilizer thing hit. I said, you don't want to be short this thing for anything. So for farmers out there listening, I do not like sales right now in December 22. I like I like a put, just a good old-fashioned floor. If you if you like the level, put protect it. But actually making cash sales, unless you have 100% of your fertilizer paid for and committed, or uh, you live in one of those areas where there's a lot of uh, hogs and uh, chickens and stuff where you can get uh, fertilizer locally. I think you have to be real careful. And and I'll tell you, Delaine, even with those people who can get the fertilizer locally, I would say a large percentage of our clients and the world clients, and you probably learned that in that Stonex interview, is they don't have this plot. So the American farmer became a just-in-time person. I'll, I'll be able to buy fertilizer just in time. And again, that whole supply chain's broke. You could see what happened with Southwest Airlines over the weekend where they did a, it's, it's called a sick out, where they just magically, a bunch of pilots and flight attendants who uh, uh, just got sick. It was really incredible what it looks like when 2,000 planes don't fly. So they can go try to vaccinate the whole world, but if people don't show up to do their job or if they physically can't show up because they're not feeling well, which is also happening uh, by you in Iowa and everything else with the uh, Packers. So lot of moving parts. I, 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 I think these prices are attractive, but that doesn't mean they can't go higher. So Tommy, I want to talk about beans here because we saw them go a little bit lower today. Is it safe to say that they traded the way they did today just in anticipation of tomorrow's Wazdy report? Well, it, it could be, but the soybeans commonly get sold off the combine and I would hope people are replacing those. So there's no physical pit. I couldn't see who the heck was selling those to me. I don't know if it was ADM or ABCD or any of the other alphabets out there selling them. But uh, one impressive thing I did see 
Delaney, is that China was on holiday for three days. Uh, soybeans were down five, six cents last night. The second the markets opened up at eight o'clock last night, beans went from down five to up four. So China looked to be a buyer on the night session. We'll see if they come back in there tonight. This report tomorrow, I, I think the markets are trading a much bigger uh, picture than report to report in I think there's a, a much bigger story. So if if China and the rest of the world wants to stock up on grain, it's not going to be just corn or wheat. It's really going to be that bean that they can then crush for both the oil and the meal. So uh, I like being friendly. Beans didn't work out today, but anyone selling beans off the combine, I definitely want re-ownership. Um, one of the things you and I talked about, and we've talked about the farmers, we definitely talked about the North Dakota Bankers Association, is that when you have rampant inflation, like we're on the verge of, it's a really good time to own stuff. And whether it be equipment, farmland, commodities, uh, Bitcoin, all these things, it's a great time to own stuff. Even some of the networks that would uh, lean a lot more to left, national headline today, fuel hit seven-year highs. And uh, I was surprised they reported about it because normally they just say everything's fine in the world and have us have a happy face on. But uh, all the networks today reported fuel the seven-year high. That was this morning. And then after that, crude oil was up another two eighty a barrel. So currently, crude oil is up about a dollar twenty-five. But we we're, we traded eighty-two dollar crude oil. And as you know, after just leaving the great state of North Dakota last week, there's no shortage of energy in Canada or North Dakota. And when pipelines break on the East Coast, that's bad. But we can't have pipelines uh, in Central. In the, in the central states where we have all the energy. So it's it's just funny how it's playing out. It's very political. But hey, if that's the game they're going to play, let's make some money uh, trading these commodities while they're volatile. So Tommy, you, you keep mentioning inflation, and that's obviously a big thing that you focused on last week at the North Dakota event. Break that down for us. What producers know right now about inflation? We keep hearing this as a buzzword, but we don't really know necessarily what it means for agriculture and commodities. Well, simply put, for the folks listening in ag, is the United States government sent out close to maybe more $80 billion to the ag sector the last two to three years in a zero interest rate environment. And so uh, never in the history of American agriculture have we had this much of a bull market, both through prices, this much of a free money light on through the government and, uh, and demand all at the same time. While that's happening, we're having these supply chain issues. And so the federal, the federal Reserve would tell you that these, oh, all these prices going up, lumber, copper, all these things, fuel, it's transitory, transitory, transitory. But there's going to come a time when you realize, especially the middle class in America, or there's actually three middle classes. There's lower middle class, middle middle class, upper middle class, and then there's just filthy rich and they can give a care what the price of gasoline is or anything else. So uh, the lower middle class are being taxed in a way that food fuel and fiber, all things they need, even if they're on government aid in some way, are all going to uh, record high prices or 10-year high prices or 20-year high prices. So when you look at the CRB, uh, prices have moved up in things and it's it's a tax on the middle class. And so when you look at healthcare, food, fuel, and fiber, it's the largest tax on the middle class ever in history. And that's how I look at inflation. I mean, I want to switch tracks here. Another topic we talked about last week, man, we're just giving everybody a preview for all of our conversations last week. But looking at the wheat market, really spring wheat has been the most excitable for quite some time. We're seeing news trickling and out about weather and yields and all of that stuff. But how, how much further, how much steam do we have left in this steamboat? 
on that little the little engine that could yeah exactly sure so um spring wheat hit 950 the other day and that seems to be a great price except for there's just not a lot of it around uh, 950 is a very attractive price and for next year 820 is an attractive price for sepa 22 but again Spring wheat doesn't use as much fertilizer as, say, corn, but it does use quite a bit of fertilizer, whereas something like a soybean you can put in on a much different budget. So when you look at spring wheat or any of the wheats, they're, they're on the back of that fertilizer train and corn being the heaviest user of fertilizer in spring, all the wheat classes going in at uh, two and three. And then there's a lot of other things you can grow, barley and all types of fun stuff. Uh, a lot of folks up in North Dakota grow edibles. I'm sure your listeners are like, really? I'm like, no, not that type of edible, but your your pinos. And no, it's not 420 day here. So it's 10, 11 day. But nonetheless, we have an incredible amount of growers who are growing black beans and pinos and all types of good stuff. We call them edibles, pulse grains, uh, oats. Again, I, I can't help but laugh. 675 oats, 674. I don't want to exaggerate, but th- there's choices next year for the Northern Plains and the fringe states. So the the wheat market is interesting. And if, if we do, uh, depending on how COVID goes this winter and variants and uh, w- what the theme is, but the, the wheat story is really amazing because when wheat hits a bull market, it sends a signal out to the world to go plant a bunch and wheat bull markets don't last long. But in this one, we have 950 spring wheat, five, call it 525, 535 these corn for multiple years and uh, 1250 beans for multiple years. So the farmers have choices, but on the back end of those choices is that that new input cost, which is just, uh, it, it's amazing. So you'll see your AKA cost production experts run around saying, you got to know your costs. Listen, that's really cute. But when you can't even get a bid ask on fertilizer or Roundup, mm-hmm. there's no way you know your cost production. So that's making people very scared to forward sell at what historically would look like good prices. Now, if we come in and South America has a weather issue and oil is $100 a barrel, these aren't going to be good prices. We'll go to a whole nother level. And uh, as you and I had spoke over a couple of cocktails, just because it's never happened before, doesn't mean you should go broke on it. So there's going to be someone you'll interview or in the past who will absolutely think that the market shouldn't be here and it's overpriced. They'll just keep going. And, and that's what markets do. We saw it happen in lumber. We've seen it happen in a lot of things. And if this commodity boom bust cycle continues, uh, look how low crude oil went when it went down. It went to a level that was uh, disgustingly negative, negative $47. And how high can things go? I think people will be surprised at how high markets could go this winter with any spark of uh, a problem in South America or some really robust demand. Tommy, I want to go ahead and take things to livestock Specifically looking here at lean hogs, we saw right across the screen here today. Why is that? We traded at a level for a long enough time. Uh, Hogs best days are probably behind them when it comes to a price level. If we can keep our herd healthy and world herds healthy, we, uh, you can get in the, in the pig business here pretty quick. And so, uh, whereas maybe, at prices last year, even hog barns that weren't really quite as efficient weren't being used as much. When you get when you start seeing hundred dollar hogs, uh, they can start putting pigs back in those barns. So the efficiency of the hog farmers incredible. Uh, they have a little bit of headwinds with the higher feed and corn, but again, meals come down. 
hogs aren't a market that stay at high prices for multiple, multiple years. And uh, hog farmers are business people. Anytime there's a big, big profit, they they do everything they can to uh, get that herd bigger. And America right now has a, a nice size herd. And we just hope we can keep disease pressure and everything else off. It's a little scary every time we hear another African swine fever case being reported in uh, this hemisphere, that's for sure. Tommy, before we let you go, if folks want to pick your brain and chat markets with you a little bit more in depth, or maybe they want to come visit you in North Dakota. I know you are you got a lot of things going up there, cooking up there. How can folks connect with you? Yeah, give us a call, 1-800-664-4383. We've been uh, spending a lot of time with bankers all across the country in several states and Love to educate people. Some people are still uh, scared to go out and some people want to do a Zoom call or some people want to meet meeting, whatever works for the listener. We'd love to educate some people. I can promise you the next few years will be exciting. Fantastic. Well, Tommy, thanks again for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. there to Tommy for coming on and chatting markets with us. If you're ever in need of an Uber driver, I'm sure Delaney can get you his number. Yes, he was a great Uber driver. I apologize. I didn't tip him. That was on me. I didn't realize I should. Uh, he also bought me a drink at the bar, so I can't even say I tipped him that way. But yeah, it was always it's always great to catch up with Tommy. I love being able to get out and chat with folks around the country as we're starting to reopen and we're starting to have more ag events. I certainly appreciate it. Ash, and I also have to make a quick mention. This is one thing we should do for the uh, taste testing if we're going to do that at the end of the month. But there's a special North Dakota snack called a chipper, which is basically a potato chip with something maybe and also really good chocolate melted on the outside of it. Sounds kind of weird, but it's super delicious. Well, Delaney, I would love to get my hands on some of those because I definitely am a salty and sweet kind of person. I love both equally, but folks, you'll have to tune in to our taste test at the end of the month and you can do so at agnewsdaily.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Just be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.